Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Germany in Focus, a news podcast made possible by members of The Local. Today we're talking about a new night train service between Berlin and Paris and more train news. As we are going into autumn soon, we are discussing what the advice is for getting another COVID vaccination. Chancellor Olaf Scholz is encouraging people to apply to become German. We look into why and talk about the government's plans to become more immigrant and digital friendly. We'll hear the second part of our interview with beer expert Christina Schoenberger, who tells us her German beer recommendations. And choosing health insurance can be really tricky. So we'll dig into a reader's question on whether private or public health insurance in Germany is best. Lastly, we'll talk about what we're looking forward to this autumn. I'm Rachel Oxen, and I'm in Berlin today with the lovely Imogen Goodman and Rachel Stern. Hello to both of you. Hello. Hello, Rach. How's it going? Yeah, good, good. Um, I have my C1 exam uh, coming up next week, so there are a few sort of pre-exam nerves at the moment, but I reckon it should be fine. That's what I'm telling myself. Wow, so the C1 German language exam, Imogen. Exactly. Oh, that's that's going to be tough. I think it might be, yeah. There's, there's, this, there's a whole part of it where you kind of have to write a sort of mini essay. Um, and obviously, I, I do a lot of writing day to day, but it's not always in German. So that's the bit I'm probably most worried about. But um, our colleague Sarah has already done this. She's got her C1. So she's been giving me some good words of wisdom <laughs> and advice. So hopefully that'll help. Amazing. I'm sure you're going to smash it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and all is well. On my end, I paid my last lake of the season a visit a couple days ago, Wannsee. Um, it was really sunny, like 30 degrees. And I'm glad I did because this week temperatures seem to be dipping quite a lot and we're properly moving into the autumn. So I'm ready to embrace it now. Oh, nice one. Okay, so before we get into it, please consider supporting us by becoming a member of The Local. We are an independent media outlet and your support is what allows us to produce the news and all of the cultural and practical explainer articles that we talk about on this podcast. If you'd like to join, you can find a link to a special offer for podcast listeners in the show notes or you can access it directly at thelocal.de slash podcast offer. Let's start off with some recent news about travel. Later this year, you will be able to get a night train between Berlin and Paris once again after a nine-year break of the service. Imogen, can you tell us more? Yes, this is a super great news for train lovers and really just anyone who loves the French capital, which, let's be honest, who doesn't love Paris? I, yeah. think, I think that's sort of it's amazing, uncontroversial uh, opinion. Yes, as you mentioned, uh, this was actually a service that used to run and actually ended nine years ago. Uh, largely because Deutsche Bahn, who were running it at the time, said that they were incurring massive debts. So it was basically too expensive back then. 
Thankfully, though, uh, the Austrian rail operator OBB um, has picked up the baton and is going to be launching this new direct Paris to Berlin night train from December this year, so before 2024. According to some initial timetable info that we've got, trains will leave Paris's uh, Gare de l'Est at 7.12pm. We'll stop at Strasbourg, Frankfurt, Erfurt and Berlin Südkreuz before arriving at Berlin. Berlin Hauptbahnhof at 8.26 in the morning, roughly. In the opposite direction, trains won't stop at Südkreuz and will leave a bit later, around 8pm, arriving in Paris at around 10 in the morning. Initially, the trains will run three times a week, but a daily service is apparently in the pipeline for around this time next year, so in autumn 2024. This sounds amazing. Do we know how much it's going to cost, Imogen? We don't have exact details on the pricing yet, but generally, um, I'd say you're looking around 50 euros uh, for the most basic bed or couchette and around 100 to 220 for something a little bit more luxurious. It's likely that cheaper seats could be available, uh, but that may involve a rather sleepless night shuffling around in a chair. So if you can afford it, it is probably better to splurge a little bit. I was talking with our editor in France, Emma, and we were saying that we would love to do a live podcast from the, the train. Oh, wow. <laughs> a combined that would be one. amazing. <laughs> That's the dream, if we can do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must say, uh, back when it was actually running in December 2011, I took the night train from Berlin to Paris, but I don't think I'd be able to participate on a podcast because I pretty much conked out right after leaving Berlin and woke up right outside of Paris. I wasn't expecting to sleep on one of these trains, but somehow I had the whole cabin to myself and it was just so warm and comfortable in the winter that I was completely out. So as a traveler, it was perfect because I saved a night's stay somewhere and could enjoy the service. So definitely glad to see it coming back. So you slept through the whole journey. That's somehow, really cool. yeah, it was it was pretty smooth, or maybe I was just really tired, but it was quite nice. I can imagine that white noise of the train engine would also kind of send you to sleep. I've never been on a night train, but I can imagine it's quite relaxing. <laughs> I feel like I would be at the cocktail bar <laughs> if there is one. Quite possibly, yes. <laughs> at the beer bar in Germany. <laughs> so is Germany trying to get people to move towards trains and away from flying? What do we think? Yeah, so I would say that is that is ultimately meant to be the goal. Um, and obviously, we have the 49 euro ticket now in place, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast, uh, which is really part of this sort of transition to sort of greener forms of energy. That said, uh, I do find it rather telling that this service is going to be run by the Austrian state railway <laughs> and not Deutsche Bahn. There's a lot of talk at the moment of the kind of buzzwords of climate change and energy transition and green energy and all of that rail travel. But Germany's rail services have really suffered years of neglect. Um, and the government is basically just playing catch up to kind of maintain a basic level of service at the moment. That's what it feels like. Thankfully, though, we do have these other operators in Europe who are taking up the task of putting on these night trains. And so we have quite a good lot of services now uh, from Germany. Yeah, thank you to Austria. Yes, thank you, Austria, for taking <laughs> pity on us. <laughs> and you mentioned some other services. Imogen, what other night trains can you get from Berlin or some other German cities? Maybe you can give us a feel for what else is out there. 
Yeah, like I said, uh, there are plenty. Um, as we talked about in the podcast early uh, this year, um, there is now also a direct Brussels to Berlin service, which is great news for Brits who want to take the Eurostar and train when they visit home rather than a short haul flight. This train also, the Brussels service also stops at Amsterdam and Antwerp. So if you're a fan of the flatlands, uh, this is the service for you. But if it's mountains you're after, though, there is also a night train that runs all the way from Berlin to Zurich via Basel. And there are plenty of services to Vienna from Berlin and Dusseldorf, some of which travel via the Polish city of Wroclaw. Hopefully I said that correctly. (laughs) Um, And then there's a really popular service um, actually going north from Berlin to Stockholm, which goes via Copenhagen and Malmö. Luckily, as well, for Munich residents, there's a wealth of options. So mainly to places like Italy, you can go to Florence, Florence, Verona, Venice, um, but you can also go to places like Budapest and Ljubljana. In other words, you can just get to a ton of different European capitals from Germany overnight and Paris is coming soon. Really nice. Thank you for that, Imogen. In other train news, I believe we are getting some more connections between Germany and Austria. Is that right, Rachel? That is right. So there's going to be a new train schedule coming out in December, and the new night jet trains are going to be rolled out for the first time, and they're going to be used um, in a connection between Hamburg and Vienna and also Hamburg and Innsbruck. And these new trains are going to be able to travel up to speeds of 230 kilometers per hour. They're supposed to be more comfortable than the previous night trains. Um, including a lot of individual cabins um, and even more accessible boarding for people who have reduced mobility. And the goal of both Austria's and Germany's train services is basically that by 2030, the number of these trains is going to be doubled. Really nice. Thanks, Rachel. Okay, let's move on. We haven't really talked about COVID-19 for a while, thankfully, but with the cooler weather around the corner, politicians and health experts have been discussing what it will be like this winter. From an anecdotal point of view, I think everyone is starting to know someone who's got COVID again. We're seeing a few more people wearing masks. So it seems to definitely be around. Rachel, are there more people getting COVID these days or does it just seem that way? Well, I totally agree with you, Rach, that even just going into the supermarket or the M, I'm seeing a lot more people wearing face masks. And there is probably something to it because the Robert Koch Institute says that now nine people per 100,000 inhabitants um, have become newly infected in the past week, um, which is still far less than a year ago. But they say that there are hidden numbers because not as many people are taking the test anymore. Um, And COVID in society as a whole has kind of been reduced to a back burner discussion. But that said, um, there are a few variants on the loose around the country. And I have to laugh because these variants sound like they could be the names of Elon Musk's children. Um, You know, they have names like 
e.g. Uh, .5xbb.1.16. <laughs> so, you know, probably not something you're going to bring up casually in your dinner time conversation. But yeah, they are definitely out there. And this week, uh, the Robert Koch Institute also reported that there's um, a new variant, a really highly mutated one, um, which is easier to pronounce called Parola that's also arrived in the country. So they said that with these uh, variants, people should definitely be vigilant and know that, yes, the pandemic itself might be over, but um, COVID-19 continues to infect people. What do politicians and experts expect the winter COVID situation to look like in Germany? Yeah, so it's not going to be like previous winters during the pandemic where there's a lot of restrictions, people having to wear face masks or having to take certain social distancing measures. Um, But that said, they are expecting there to be more infections. And it won't just be of COVID. I mean, every year there's also a lot of people who get the flu. And so they think that these two viruses in combination with each other could mean that Obviously, a lot more people are sick this winter. So there is a vaccine available which has been adapted to the latest variant, a COVID vaccine. Rachel, who should get it and when? So our health minister, Karl Lauterbach, has said this week that anybody over the age of 60 um, and anybody with a pre-existing condition should definitely get a booster shot. Um, And starting this Monday, it's been available. And for anybody that fits into those risk categories, the health insurance will cover it. And for anybody else, um, they can still get a vaccine, but they'll have to, in most cases, pay for it privately, which will be about 35 euros. Right now, the vaccine is available to anybody over the age of 12. And by October 2nd, it will be available to almost everyone, including small children. Okay, so you should ask at your doctor if you have any questions. Yeah, exactly. And it's available at most doctor surgeries around Germany. Great. Thank you very much, Rachel. Germany is significantly relaxing its citizenship laws. You may have heard us talk about that once or twice. After the law has been passed and goes into force, you will be able to apply after five years of residence instead of the current eight years, and dual citizenship will be allowed for non-EU nationals. And Chancellor Olaf Scholz has been encouraging everyone who can apply to apply. Imogen, what has Scholz been saying and where? Well, the Chancellor actually had quite a fun appointment the other day. He was appearing on a podcast called Machiavelli, which basically involves politicians sitting down with rappers uh, to discuss current affairs, um, <laughs> along with the journalists uh, Vasily Golod and Jan Kavelke. So Schultz was on this podcast and they were talking about the new citizenship reforms. And he basically uh, piped up and said he was really, really keen for foreigners who make up around 20% of the German population to take that step to apply to be German and get citizenship provided they met the criteria. So this was basically a shout out to people who don't have a German passport to apply for one. Why does he want people to become German? Well, there are several kind of factors to this. But at the time, Schultz kind of framed this question as a question of fairness. So if you live here, if you pay taxes, if you raise children here and so on, you should really be entitled to have a say in the way the country is governed. And of course, you can only vote in state and federal elections if you have a German passport. 
and only in local elections if you have an EU passport. This is really the classic no taxation without representation thing. Beyond that, there is kind of a wider context of the government's immigration reforms, including easing citizenship rules, which are partly to do with fairness and equity, but also to do with encouraging people to stay here and to pay into the system. So, of course, Germany has massive skilled worker shortages, which is something we have also mentioned once or twice on this podcast. And really, the the issue is, you know, bringing workers over is not enough by itself. You need people to stay here long term, to build lives here and continue to be part of the labor force and pay into the system. So obviously, citizenship plays a huge role in that. Yeah, so the obviously the democratic and economic reasons, but also I was thinking this is the coalition's one of their flagship changes, isn't it? That it's just finally kind of coming to light almost. Yes, definitely. And just, you know, on the SPD front, it's something that they've been calling for for years. When they were locked in these grand coalitions with the CDU, this was always a massive point of contention. And now they're in the driving seat and they're finally getting to push this through. And I think not without some relish, actually. Mm-hmm. Like you can mm-hmm. sort of, you can see the, uh, you know, you can see the the, the joy there and the um, satisfaction that they find finally get their way. Yeah, and hoping it will be a success. And it will be a success if people, more people become German. Absolutely. Yeah. My early sort of prediction would be they're not going to be disappointed there. I don't think <laughs> he needs to do a shout out on any more podcasts. I think people are already <laughs> getting their applications in, myself included. <laughs> <laughs> Schultz has also been talking recently about the plans for Germany to become more immigrant and digital friendly. What's this about? So this ties in with what Imogen was talking about. Schultz has said that he wants more skilled workers to come to Germany to seek residency and also eventually citizenship. But he said that the issue is that bureaucracy is pushing quite a lot of them away. So part of this Deutschland Pakt is that he wants to work with immigration offices to make them more digital and to make it easier for people to get their permits in the first place to come um, into the country. And it's not just about bringing more people in. It's about making all of the processes for foreigners and people who already live in the country easier. For example, more administrative tasks to be online, building approvals, for example, um, in light of the housing crisis that Germany has been experiencing for quite a while. And then he also said that because taxation of companies is so high, he wants to offer more foreign investment aid. So it's a pretty long list of things that he um, is putting out there. But he, you know, went public a couple weeks ago and said, hey, guys, in order to become a more attractive place, these are the bullet points that we're going to have to achieve. So this Deutschland Pact is this modernized Germany kind of push that he obviously wants to kind of steer. Exactly. Critics have said that it's kind of a marketing ploy and it's easier said than done, but he claims to be working with the 16 state leaders as well as mayors all around the country to um, achieve these goals. So seeing is believing. We'll keep our fingers crossed or thumbs pressed that some of these things come into fruition. 
And there is actually a long way to go, to be honest. We published a story on the local Germany this week about problems at Stuttgart Immigration Office with reports of people having to queue for more than 12 hours for an appointment. But that's not an isolated case, is it, Imogen? No, definitely not. Um, as you say, this was a truly shocking story on Focus.de about the difficulties foreigners face um, in trying to get an appointment at the Ausländerbehörde or foreigner's office. So reporters from Focus actually turned up at Stuttgart Immigration Office around two hours before it was meant to open, so around 6.30am, and already found 50 people waiting outside, um, including a Russian man who said he'd been there since 6pm the previous day. So apparently people regularly turn up at 2am or 3am just to get an appointment the same day with some people waiting 12, 14 hours. That's apparently not unusual. So these stories of people actually facing quite inhumane conditions where they have to camp outside immigration offices overnight are far too common. I know that this was the case in Berlin uh, before they actually stopped giving out same day appointments or walk-in appointments. But the alternative is sometimes simply being unable to book any appointments. So it's, it's kind of hard to say which is, is better or worse there. Obviously, there is two sides to this. This isn't just the immigration officers trying to make things hard for foreigners. They've actually said, you know, we, we are aware of the scale of the problem, but we are so short-staffed and we are run ragged and we are doing our best to fit everyone in. But they just are at capacity or over capacity at the moment. And in Stuttgart's case, they say that it could get better towards the end of the year because they expect 17 positions to then be filled. So hopefully there is some sort of light at the end of the tunnel. But this is a problem we're seeing everywhere with staffing issues. Absolute nightmare. Thank you for that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Last week, we heard from German beer expert Christina Schoenberger, a brewing engineer at Nuremberg-based Barthas, which is a hop supplier to brewers. We were chatting about the history of beer in Germany, including the significance of the Reinheitsgebot, or German purity law. Let's hear the second part of the interview now on how German beer habits are changing, and we'll get Christina's recommendations for German beer. 
Yeah, we see it also um, in our company. Obviously, the trends um, of alcohol-free beer is a very big trend in very different um, countries and markets. So that's really important for us. And I think that's also very good because alcohol is actually the only part in beer that doesn't make beer a super healthy drink. Anything else that you have, <laughs> it's uh, you have a lot of vitamins. You have a very good balance in terms of that, that it acts diuretic. So it really helps you to clean your body. Um, you have the hops uh, ingredients. The bitter acids from hops, they uh, have a lot of um, health benefits that they prevent a lot of diseases. And you have the calming effects of hops and you have the great nutrition from the malt uh, ingredients. So I think alcohol-free beer is the healthiest drink anyways. So I think this will be a growing trend. And also using malt and hops, maybe in other beverages, could become a trend. So now they are exclusively or mostly used for beer. We see a lot of opportunities to uh, use both also in other beverages in the future. Really interesting. What is your favorite German beer? I have many German and also uh, international <laughs> favorite beers. Um, and it changes from year to year. So this year it's the Pacific Ale from Störtebecker that I like best. Next to the Pils from Alpiersbacher, which is a brewery here in uh, Baden-Württemberg. And then I have a couple of classic beers that I always like to drink. That's, for example, the Stuttgarter Herrenpils. That's funny because it's called Herrenpils. So it's, <laughs> it sounds like only men are entitled to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> the gentleman's beer. <laughs> but I also like a lot the Jever, the North German pills. Um, and I like a couple of wheat beers a lot. The Gutmann wheat beer from Bavaria or Franconia and also both Franziskaner and Paulana wheat beers and Schneider. Yeah, So we have so, so much to choose from. <laughs> Absolutely. Really good tips there. Thank you so much, Christina. That's amazing. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Let's look at a reader question now. We had someone ask in our podcast feedback survey if we could include regular practical segments. And this person asked about whether it's best to go for public or private health insurance in Germany. So will we have a little chat about it? Let's do it. I believe you guys have done some research, so thank you for that. Rachel, can you give us a little rundown about how the health insurance system works in Germany? Sure. So in Germany, everybody, including foreigners living in the country, has to have health insurance. And there are two types of health insurance. The public health insurance, or Gesetzliche Krankenversicherung, is the type that the majority of people, or 90%, are covered by. It's funded through contributions from both employees and employers, where each um, contribute half. And then there's also private health insurance, or private Krankenversicherung, and that's just the remaining 10% of the population. It's usually higher income people, um, but it can also include freelancers and in some cases students. Both the public and private health insurance cover, you know, a wide range of healthcare services, including doctor's appointments and at least partially hospital stays. And people also have the freedom to choose their providers, whether they're publicly or privately insured. So you have to be earning over a certain amount if you're an employee to have private health insurance, but you can choose if you're self-employed. 
what are some of the pros and cons of public versus private health insurance? That's a good question. So with the private insurance, a lot of people feel you can get access to higher-end medical facilities. Um, You can very notoriously have shorter waiting times for a lot of appointments. So many stand-up comedians here have done acts about how one person calls for a doctor's appointment and the doctor or the receptionist says, sorry, we don't have any appointments for another eight months. And then they say, well, I'm privately insured. Oh, come by this afternoon. And I think (laughs) there is a lot of truth to that. Um, But not always the case, although with private insurance, it is true that um, you get to directly access specialists, for example, whereas if you're publicly insured, you would first go to your general practitioner and would have to get a recommendation and then might have to wait quite a bit to get an appointment with a specialist. So overall, it really depends on your circumstances and how much you earn as to whether you go private or statutory. Yeah, absolutely. So at the moment, 66,600 euros um, is the salary threshold to qualify for private um, insurance. If you are in employment, um, as we mentioned, you know, freelancers do get a choice and, you know, often might opt for private because state insurance can be so expensive when you're paying both the your own and the what should have been the employer's contribution. So it's double as much. And basically because insurance, uh, statutory insurance is income linked and private is not, uh, it can seem on first glance to be more cost effective to go for private if you are in that higher earning uh, bracket. I would say have a bit of caution there though because one tricky thing about being on private insurance is that it can then be very difficult to get back onto statutory insurance Um, and one of the major downsides is that even though it's not income linked um, it can go up dramatically with age it can also rise significantly if you do get ill if you have a pre-existing conditions so in a way while statutory insurance may not seem worth it when you're young you may value that a lot more when you get older and that may offer you a bit more security. So pros and cons, but yeah, ultimately a personal choice if you are a freelancer and if you are a higher earner. Mm -hmm. And one thing that is difficult when I was freelancing, when I first arrived in Germany, I found that private health insurance was so much cheaper, at least than the than the public one. And even though I wanted to be on the public health insurance, I found that I just couldn't afford it with the with the jobs I had at the time. Absolutely. They have recently lowered the minimum, but it used to be something like 300. It's still quite high. And for someone who might be scraping by with, you know, a grand or two a month, that's a really significant chunk. It's sort of like paying rent twice. So yeah, I can absolutely see for a lot of freelancers um, that it that it is quite a dilemma knowing which one to choose. Do you guys have a tip for dealing with health insurance or health matters in Germany? Yeah, so speaking of being a freelancer, and this is also something that applies for students, if you are renewing your visa before you have that appointment at the Ausländerbehörde, the immigration office, you should double check that they accept your private insurance. And this is also something that changes all the time. So I remember one incident when I was a freelancer and I stayed on my private insurance um, that had worked when I got my last visa. But when I showed up there and showed them proof of my insurance, they told me, 
sorry, we don't take this insurance anymore. I had to wait a full six months to get another appointment and change my insurance in the meantime. And this could have completely been avoided by just um, sending an email to the insurance to double check that they were indeed valid for residency permits. And there are about 40 different types of private insurance in Germany. So um, you're a bit spoiled for choice. You just have to double check that it's the right one for your individual situation as a foreigner living in Germany. If you are on statutory insurance, there may seem like a lot of add-ons that aren't covered and that you have to pay for out of pocket, so privately. But it can actually be really, really worth trying your luck and seeing what your insurance will cover, even if they say they won't. So some things that are technically private add-ons, such as Teeth cleanings, for example, will be rebated um, up to a certain amount. So some of these uh, services are also tax write-offs as long as they're deemed medically required. So there are two ways to get some money back on those if you know what you're doing. I would also say if you're struggling to find a therapist, um, it might be worth checking whether your insurance will pay for you to go private as well. Most statutory insurance funds offer this. Um, so if you tried to find a, a therapist and are really struggling to write to your insurance, tell them how many people you've contacted and there might be a way that that could be rebated. So those are my tips. This is a really helpful. So you basically just go to the health insurance and tell them what you want <laughs> and hope for the best. Basic, basically, yeah. <laughs> I just, just try your luck. <laughs> yeah, it's worked for me. I got most of my teeth cleaning paid for, even though I wasn't supposed to technically. Wow. I mean, that's that's brilliant. I think we should all go home and try this. I think we should. It's a significant amount of money as well yeah. for a t teeth cleaning. So that's really a great, a great money uh, saver. For sure. It really is. I would add on, guys, I think something that people should be aware of in Germany if they don't know already is that there is a culture of the health service working for you. I guess that's <laughs> kind of what we're talking about here. So I think Germans expect a high standard of care and they're okay with paying for it. And I think that's slightly different to, for example, the NHS in the UK, where I don't people maybe don't pay so much for it and then they don't get the same service back. I think you do get a high standard of care in Germany. And I think that it's important to know what you're entitled to under your health insurance. So for example, you can get a full body check every three years from the age of 35 on most, I think, in fact, maybe all health insurance uh, plans in Germany. And also you can kind of shop around if you're not happy with something. So if you don't, if you want a second opinion or you would like uh, another specialist, you can kind of make that work for you and use the health service. You pay enough for it, so use it. <laughs> Definitely. I couldn't agree more with that. I think Germans are very good at finding a way to get their money's worth and it's absolutely worth doing. There's no saving money when it comes to your health, except if you know the trick about getting that money back from the uh, insurance fund. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So shall we finish off today by talking about what we're looking forward to this autumn in Germany? Imogen, what are you looking forward to? 
So a lot of things. I love autumn this time of year in Berlin. is just gorgeous. The smells, the chill in the air. But I'm particularly looking forward to Kürbiszeit. Every year um, I buy a Haikido pumpkin. I start making pumpkin risotto and just getting really cozy indoors. And it never really feels like autumn's begun until I make my first batch of pumpkin risotto. So that's definitely something I'm looking forward to soon. Yes, pumpkin season. We love it. And also your birthday is coming up. That's true. Yes, I'm also looking forward to my birthday. Um, I'll be officially eligible for that 35 health check <laughs> from uh, from next <laughs> Tuesday. So, yeah, that's another exciting thing. Great. Well, I'll be very German, Imogen, and wait until this day to say a certain something to you. <laughs> yes. Um, and I, I must say as well, I'm going to have to steal your pumpkin risotto recipe. I'm a huge pumpkin fan, a Kürbis fan as well. And this really, should be a pumpkin podcast. It, it should, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we could devote a whole episode to all the many recipes, Kürbis Sopa with all of the freshly toasted seeds is one of my favorites. But staying with our culinary chat, um, one of the things I look forward to in the fall slash autumn is just all of the apple-based specialties. And I'm a really big hiker, so I love in Brandenburg getting out and about where they have these really, you know, crisp fall leaves all over the ground. And then a lot of uh, little restaurants um, or kind of beer gardens that all of a sudden are serving apple cider or apple vine or just plain old apple juice um, made with freshly picked apples from the area. I'm so hungry. <laughs> this, this is lovely. I'm going to steer the chat slightly away from food for a moment because I think the thing I'm most looking forward to this autumn is being able to go to the cinema without feeling guilty. <laughs> so I love going to the cinema. It's one of my favorite things to do. And in Berlin, there are so many cute little independent cinemas. So I have been going during the heat wave. <laughs> I even once went when it was 27 degrees because it, it was cooler there. But autumn is really a good time, I think, to be going to the cinemas. Definitely. Definitely. You don't feel guilty about missing those beautiful, gorgeous, long summer evenings because they're not there anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yes. We have to make the most of it. We do. Agreed. <laughs> That's it for this week. A big thank you to all our listeners. As always, we will add the links in the show notes for the stories we've been talking about. It would really mean a lot to us if you hit follow, left a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, especially if you enjoyed it. This week's panelists have been Rachel Stern and Imogen Goodman, and our sound engineer is Reese Edwards. We hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back again next week. Until then, take care. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.